The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. In a world that can be challenging and at times unpredictable, it's hard to find moments to focus on what you need. Join Stephanie James on The Spark as she guides you to use your inner flame to ignite your best life. As a best-selling author, psychotherapist, transformational life coach, and international show host, Stephanie is dedicated to helping you create a life that takes you, your goals, and your passions to the next level so you can live a life that is fully lit up and fully alive. She believes that your life is meant to be a beautiful expression of the things that light you up. That by living your dreams, you give permission to others to do the same. Are you ready to feel alive and inspired to fuel your dreams and put a fire behind your desires? Let's ignite a spark in one another that will illuminate the world. The Spark, with your host, Stephanie James, starts now. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. And we are taking the spark and we are igniting it. If you've been following us for the last five years, you know that we have been the spark and now we are taking that spark and igniting it so we can share it with others around the world. I am so excited today to have a special guest, Coot Blackson, with me today. And he is a transformational speaker, national best-selling author of You Are The One. And today we're going to be talking about his new book, The Magic of Surrender. And Koo's been recognized as the mindfulness guru that billionaires go to for advice by Inc. Magazine. And he's been featured on all kinds of shows from Larry King to The Impact Theory. And now I'm so thrilled that we have him here on The Spark. Welcome, Koo. So happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk a little bit. I know that so many people already know you, and I know you're known internationally, but not everybody probably knows your fascinating story. I went through and listened to some of those interviews and was fascinated by your childhood in Ghana and and how you, with your father, you know, I, I love that you were able to do some of your own individuation Yet at a very young age, you were already programming yourself for this amazing life you've manifested. Mm-hmm. What would you like to know? I would love to know, just for the speakers, just share a little bit about that early journey for you, if you will. Yeah, look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. Um, as a young boy, I always felt a deep, I, f- I was a very empathetic kid. And so I felt people's pain very deeply. 
And there was always a part of me that wanted to alleviate suffering in some way because I'd feel people's pain and I just felt it. I felt them. And, uh, you know, some would say I had a bit of an unusual childhood, but for me, it felt very normal. Uh, my first memories also as a young boy was seeing, I remember seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand, the gravel that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing miracles, you know, right in front of me, blind people seeing and deaf people hearing and people standing up out of wheelchairs. The same man whose gravel she picked up would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Stand up. Uh, and they would stand up or somebody would come in with crutches and why do you have crutches? Throw these crutches away. And they would start running and throw the crutches away. And so this was my reality. You know, I didn't know anything else. It just seemed normal to me and it didn't seem extraordinary in any way and so this man was my father uh this he was considered the miracle man of africa and uh, a very spiritual mystical human mystical man so i was blessed to grow up in this environment of possibilities so to speak and i think uh, he built about 300 churches in ghana west africa he had a huge church in london uh, about five thousand people every sunday and so Around age eight is when my speaking career began, because one day my father said, my son is going to speak and threw me in the audience and said, speak. And that began my speaking career. Uh, and then at 14, another pivotal moment for me was basically my father announced me as his successor and I was ordained as a minister and given the mandate to take over his organization. And everybody was happy but me because I had this deep feeling that this was not my path. This was not my life. This was not my trajectory. This, this was not what I was here to do, basically. And so I was too afraid, uh, like many of us, I was too afraid to speak my truth. My fear was if I dared to be who I am and speak my truth, then I will be outcast. I will be alone. I will lose my father's love. And so I said nothing and held back and went through with it. And for four years, I went through a deep questioning and internal turmoil and became really obsessed with trying to find answers because I basically tried to fit myself into a box of being who I thought the world wanted me to be and I was becoming miserable. And so I would sneak into my father's uh, office and he had about a thousand books on his bookshelf. And I began devouring his spiritual self-help books, everyone from the Eastern mystics to the Western spiritual teachers, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson. And this became my passion. And so after about four years of inner questioning, another pivotal moment that, that really took me on this path was I was 18 and I looked into my future and I saw that I could follow the expected path for my life and take over my father's churches and fulfill everybody's dreams. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my integrity, if I didn't have my soul, like, what do I have? I have nothing. Simultaneously, I felt a deep calling in my soul, calling me to the US, calling me to the US to meet, to find the teachers that I'd read about, because I wanted to go into this field. And I think sometimes when, you're, when your soul guides you, uh, or, or, or gives you a nudging, it often doesn't make sense to your logic or your mind. It's not always convenient. It's not always comfortable. But I really believe, and I've seen it through my life, when you follow your soul and you allow your soul to guide you, you will always end up in the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing, even though the, 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 the road that you take may not be the one that you most expect. And so that's when I knew what I had to do. And my life changed because I renounced everything. 
left everything behind, had that conversation with my father to tell him I'm not taking over. We didn't speak for two years. Longer story short, I won a green card in the lottery, the green card lottery, which enabled me to come to the US, two suitcases, $800 in my pocket, 18 years old, just following a dream. And uh, I just began. I just began finding many of the authors and teachers I'd read about, studying with them. And then another moment that shifted my life that really put me on this path was I began to travel. And I, I, I basically, I was tired of reading the books and I wanted to know, I wanted to know truth for myself. I wanted to know, I wanted to know reality. I wanted to, to I wanted to know my purpose. And so I walked the Camino, which is a 900 kilometer trek in Northern Spain. And I shaved my head, took a backpack, started walking the Camino. And I said, I would not come back to America until I found certain answers for myself and ended up, ended up in India for four months and traveled in search of teachers and answers and gurus and um, signs from the universe. And it was my time in India that really cracked me open to another sense of realizing my purpose and why I'm here. And out of that journey, I came back to the US and began working with people 20 years ago. This is before coaching was popular, before social media was a thing. I began working with people one-on-one and it just evolved and grew. And then I kind of devised my own way of working with people. I called it uncoaching and people's life, lives began transforming. And one person came, another per- people started coming from around the world and uh, small groups, larger groups, two books. Here we are. That's the short version. Wow. What a beautiful journey. You know, and I, I'm so taken with this path that you have followed, which was the path of your own heart. And so often we get so, I think, swayed when yeah. we have these external programs for happiness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and things that are handed down. And so this beautiful journey of doing this heart excavating and Mm -hmm. soul excavating, which I would call, you know, your essence. Yes. You really got in touch with that spark, which is that essence within us and follow that. So Koot, tell me what is uncoaching? Well, you know, I think we are all whole, perfect and complete as human beings. If you look at a child, a child is, they're free, free to be themselves. They're in touch with their essence. If you look at a newborn and you look into their eyes, they are not conditioned. They look at you with no past, no reference, no judgment, no conditioning, total openness and curiosity. A child will jump on the table naked and sing. They don't care what you think about them. They, don't, they poop their pants and just have no guilt, no shame. They'll, they don't care if they don't sound like uh, Celine Dion or Adele. They're free. And so I think we were all that once, all in touch with that essence once. And so what the hell happened to us? You know, we we end up at 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. What happened to that freedom? And and so I think at the at the core, we're all whole, perfect, complete, in touch with our own source energy. But as souls, we incarnate into this human experience. 
and we meet our parents and God bless them. Our parents, they're just doing the best that they know how to do based on their conditioning and their childhood and their grandparents. And so now we're born into kind of a preset pattern, generational pattern of conditioning. Maybe dad is crazy. Maybe mom is an alcoholic. Maybe they're fighting all the time. Maybe there's pain, abuse, dysfunction, trauma. Maybe they're great people, but they just didn't know how to meet our emotional needs in some way. And so that was painful. And so a couple of things happen in terms of how we begin to become conditioned and lose touch with our pure essence. So the first thing is, based on our environment, we learn all sorts of strategies to shut down, disconnect, and not feel. It's too painful to feel that my needs aren't being met. Dad has left. Mom has left. Mom's not around. Mom and dad are fighting all the time. You know, there's all this stuff going on. It's too much. And so we shut down. We suppress our feelings. We suppress, we suppress, we suppress from very young. And before you know it, layers and 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 layers of unfelt, unacknowledged feeling begin to cover up our true authentic expression. And our true light gets hidden underneath the layers of suppressed pain, hurt, guilt, shame, emotion that we've learned to suppress in order to function and survive. And we erect walls uh, around our heart in order to not feel the pain. And now we become closed and we go through our life in this kind of limited, closed posture. And then we become, I think, who we think we need to be in order to get love and validation and approval. We contort ourselves into a shape and we develop a role. We develop a mask. We develop a persona, a personality. And we end up becoming this version of ourselves that we think is who we are, but it's not who we are. It's just who we think we need to be in order to be loved and validated. And we end up betraying parts of ourselves. And so now we end up in this shape, in this version, in this sort, sort of ego identity, thinking that's who we are, which is where you often hear people say, no, this is just who I am. This is just me. I'm just being me. But we don't really question, like, is who I am who I really am? Or is it just what I've been conditioned to be? And so the degree to which we are conditioned is the degree to which we're not truly free to choose. Because when we're living inside of a, a way of being, being the people pleaser, being the nice guy, saying yes when we mean no, right? When we live inside of this, having our heart closed, thinking, no, I'm just an analytical person. This is just who I am. Not realizing that we're living inside of a limited prison of persona, which is a defense mechanism and strategy that's that we've learned to adapt from childhood. And it worked for us when we were five and it worked for us when we were 10. It worked for us when we were 15. But often we reach a point in our lives where the way of being that we were conditioned into stops working for us and begins to limit us. And so uncoaching is where I, I learned to create a process that is designed to help people become aware of their conditioning because we often don't realize that we are conditioned. So I help people become aware of their conditioning and I help people free up the, the layers and the patterns that we have uh, developed over time in order to function, survive, and cope. So, so it's an uncoaching process. So I tell, I, 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 I'm often fond of saying I don't really teach people, I unteach. I don't coach, I uncoach. I don't uh, do, I undo. I, un I uncondition you from the patterns and programmings that we've learned to adapt, to function, survive, and cope. And so that's the essence of uncoaching. Yeah, I love this. And it's so, I have to tell you, it resonates so much. I think one of my life pivotal change moments was exactly that. I was at a, and I talk about this in my film, but I was at a healing school in San Francisco. And literally after I met the speaker on the way in, you know, this Dr. Jaffe in the middle of his speech, mm -hmm. he stops and 
stops the whole speech and says, hey, you in the blue coat, I have a message for you. Mm -hmm. And I look around, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the one in the blue coat. And he says the message, he said it three times and I couldn't hear him. Like people started laughing. And the last time he even said, what I'm trying to tell you, my dear, what you're resistant to, all of the air conditioning units in the place came on and then nobody could hear him. So everyone's laughing. He had me come on stage and he's like, my dear, what I'm trying to tell you is stop trying. Stop trying. Because I was trying so hard to be exactly what you're saying, to earn love, to do something externally. So that he said, you're trying to, you know, your whole life, you've been trying to be perfect for your father. And now yeah. you're trying to do it for your husband. Yeah. Stop trying. And mm -hmm. that was a huge door opening. This has been about 26 years ago now. Mm -hmm. But just as you're saying, to start doing that inner work of like, I can't earn love. Yeah. It's an inside job. You can't earn love. We are love. We just forgot that we are love. You know, love is not something to get or do or achieve. Love is what we are. But because in certain ways we weren't necessarily or didn't feel loved unconditionally, we started to believe that love was something you needed to do in or, or become a certain thing in order to achieve and attain and get outside, which sets up a pattern of constantly seeking love and becoming what we think we need to be to get love outside of ourselves. And it's never fulfilling. Uh, and so I think part of it is a remembering that, that we are love, you know, and, 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 and essentially doing the inner work to peel away the belief systems and the meanings and the ideas that, and the wounds and the feelings that prevent us from being in touch with the love that we are, because it's what we are. And I think as we start realizing that it transforms our relationship to ourself it transforms our relationship to life. It transforms our relationship to others. Absolutely. And when you were in India, is that the time where you excavated that piece for you? Or when did you drop in to that awareness where you were really able to start cultivating that sense of like, I am love. It is not separate than me. Yeah, I don't know if there was just like a moment because... I think it's been a process, you know, at a very young age, I was blessed to meet a woman and fall in love. And, and that huh, love, huh, perhaps more than any spiritual path, it was falling in love that brought up all of my unresolved stuff. And I think it was the process of falling in love in relationship and having all of my all of my fears, all of my inadequacies, all of my abandonment, all of that stuff that I wasn't even conscious of that came up and being forced to look at it, being forced to heal it, being forced to process through it, being forced to let it go, being forced to forgive my father, being forced to look at the, the conditioning of my childhood. It was... I think through the process of relationship at a young age that forced me to, to, to do the inner work to clear away many of the limitations that really were preventing me from seeing who I really was. And that was the foundation that then when I went to India, let's just say then I had certain, you could say spiritual experiences that, that I was ripe for that enabled me to see directly the innate reality of my being 
the innate reality of what I am, which is what we all are. And at that level, we are one. And, and so to me, love is that recognition of what we are, that we all are, is the inherent recognition of the innate oneness of all life and existence, you know? And so it was doing the inner work on a mental, human, psychological, developmental, therapeutic level, but then going to India kind of cracked me open to a sort of spiritual a transcendental awareness of, wow, I'm not this body. I'm not this personality. I'm not this ego structure. I'm not this thing I'm even trying to heal and change. Like what I am is, 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 is pure light, pure essence that's never been touched, never been traumatized, never been hurt, never been conditioned. And, and that was an incredibly profound um, realization. And I'm really hearing that piece of like being like that we each one are like these divine conduits, you know, conduits for the divine to come through. And love is part of what helped get rid of the cobwebs, if you will, in that conduit. And when you, you know, one of the things I always say is love brings up anything unlike itself for the purpose of being healed. And that's what it sounds like love did for you. Those things you're saying on a physical plane, on an emotional plane yep. that needed to be healed within you. And then it's like the conduit became even clearer for that divine, you know, mm -hmm. like you're saying, transformational experience mm -hmm. to happen. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, I love that. So let's talk a little bit about your new books. I'm really cool. excited. You know, I, I, the Magic of Surrender and Secondary Title, Finding the Courage to Let Go. Mm -hmm. um, this is so powerful. I just had a book come out, my second book last June, called Becoming Fierce, with one of the chapters being the duality of surrender. So this is a very near and dear topic to my life. It, it has profoundly affected my journey. So share a little bit about the essence of this book. and. What is the importance of surrender? Look, I think surrender is the most important thing that we can do as human beings in this lifetime. I think it's really why we're born. We're born really in the life is a process of surrender. We're here to surrender to who and ultimately what we truly are, which is infinite, which is divine consciousness, you know, which is your consciousness, the, the true essence of our nature. And so I think in our culture today, there is this misconception of surrender, this idea that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that surrender means uh, giving up, that surrender means waving the white flag, that surrender means you won't manifest your goals, dreams, and desires, that surrender means uh, you're going to get left behind, you're going to be a victim, you're going to be a doormat. Like, who the hell would want to surrender if, if that's what surrender, we think surrender means, that surrender is weakness, that you're going to get less in life if you surrender. And I'm actually saying, no, if you really surrender, what if you didn't get less in life, but what if you actually got more? Maybe not what you intended or what you planned or what you expected or what you wanted, but what if it was better, better than what you could have planned and calculated with your ego's imagination and logic? To me, surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. It's the real secret to manifestation. Surrender is the key to the next level of our lives. When I look at the truly 
great ones, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Buddha, whether it's Gandhi, whether it's Mandela, whether it's Mother Teresa, whether it's Bob Marley, whether it's Muhammad Ali, whether it's Bruce Lee, none of which were like weak human beings. At some point, I think they all reached the point of their life where they surrendered. At some point, they got to that moment where they they surrendered themselves to the divine, to the innate intelligence, to their soul, to the purpose that was bigger than themselves. And in that surrender, they transcended their human limitation and they tapped into another dimension of potential of life. And that's when life, life itself began to use them and manifest through them and express through them. And I think that's when the magic and the miracles truly happened through them in ways that they could not have planned. Movements were started. Revolutions happened. That was beyond just a human personal sense of power. And so surrender is uh, letting go of control, or I should say the illusion that we are even in control in the first place. Surrender is when we stop trying to force and manipulate life to fit our limited idea of how we think it is, should be, and how we think it could be and how who we think we should be surrender is a taking the limitations off of life so that we can be available and open and receptive to allow life to show us life to lead us life to guide us and i think that's when that's when the magic happens and so you know the old paradigm of living and creating and manifesting was a more ego based model of living life and creating life like know what you want, get clear on what you want and go make it happen. And I say, you might get everything that you thought you wanted. And, and you can create from the level of the ego. It, it's, it's, you can create amazing things, but it will often be limited because the ego itself, nothing wrong with the ego, but the, if, if you're just creating from the lens of the ego, the ego is conditioned and the ego is limited in its perspective and, and, sense of understanding because the ego is is conditioned by the past so whatever we create leading from the lens of the ego will be limited to the past in some way and you might achieve what you thought you wanted only to realize that what you thought you wanted was just what you thought you wanted based on who you thought you were but if you're not really in touch with the real sense of like who am i really then often our goals and the life we think can be projections of unmet needs from childhood, you know? And so for me, the question in surrender becomes not what do I want? I as a limited separate sense of self, but it becomes more about what is it that, what is it that life, what is it that life is seeking to express to me? What is it that the divine is seeking to manifest to me? What is it that God is seeking to express to me? What is it that my soul is seeking to manifest? And what is the deepest impulse of truth that is seeking to express and to align yourself? to align yourself with that deeper intelligence. And then you can bring your personality and the ego and the mind and logic and marketing in alignment and sync with the deeper flow. And then you give 100%, but you move forward without being attached to the outcome and the result. And so that's a bit of the essence of true surrender. Yeah, I, I, I'm almost speechless over here. That's so exciting listening to that and knowing, like getting that resonance yeah. of inner truth, you know, for you, how has that manifested? What's an example in your life? My, whole life, my, my, whole, surrendered? my whole life is an example of surrender. Everything, you know, I mean, I could bore you with stories for the next 400 podcasts, honestly. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> just the way I came to America. Won a green card. I write all about this in my book. I won a green card in the lottery. I won a green card. Let me repeat. Won a green mm-hmm. card in the green card lottery. And, uh, a surrender. You know, uh, I mean, so many things. Uh, I was told a few years ago to, to, I was in Egypt doing an event, told to go to Brazil, out of the blue. Surrender. Okay. No, no, no idea why. No events. Went to Brazil. Long story short, in a most unexpected way, ended up meeting my wife and getting married and having a son within a year of meeting her. And so to me, surrender is the password to freedom. I mean, none of these things I could have planned. Was told one day to drive to Joshua Tree, cut a long story short, uh, seven years ago, ended up buying a piece of land in a 40 acres in Joshua Tree that I built on, building on, and surrendered, you know, and the valuation of this land has 30x, literally. So, I mean, I could just go on and on. And yeah. so I've seen, like, when we truly surrender, that's when the magic happens. When we truly surrender, the, the challenge is we, are, we all receive guidance from our soul. Sometimes the guidance from your soul does not arise in a format that fits the logic of the mind. And so many times when you receive an intuition, a nudging, sometimes the, the nudging of your soul is very subtle. Sometimes the nudging of your soul is very gentle. Sometimes the nudging of your soul is very uh, quiet. Uh, it's a feeling, a sensation in the body, a gentle whispering. And often we don't listen to it because we go into the mind and we're constantly seeking to understand what does this mean and how and why. And, and, and then we end up overanalyzing and we so analyze this intuitive guidance that we get that we talk ourselves out of it because we need it to make sense. But when we're guided by the soul, the intelligence that we receive that won't fit into your ego or mind's understanding because it's arising from a deeper dimension than the mind. And so it's going to be outside of the mind's understanding and initial comprehension. It's not meant to make sense. And so one thing I had to learn was to stop questioning the guidance. When I gave up the need to know, the need to understand, the need to make sense, and I began to slowly but surely follow the sense. Turn left, turn left, turn right, turn right. Well, why? I have no idea. You don't have to know where you're going to get to exactly where you need to be. But if you follow it, often it will lead you to the next thing, which will lead you to the next thing, which will lead you to the next thing, which will lead you to the next thing. And then a year later, two years later, three years later, you understand why you needed to do that thing and why you needed to go to that coffee shop, which led you to that person, which led you to that thing. And it starts making sense. But often you connect the dots afterwards. And so what I encourage, what I have to learn is when I feel the guidance, the sense, the intuitive, the, the feeling, I don't question. It's like, just do, turn left, turn right, pick up the phone, call that person. You don't need to know. You don't need to understand in the moment. To me, that is what it is to surrender and allow life to lead you. Just follow the clues, follow the nudgings. If you really are open, you'll feel that life has a flow. There's a, there's a, there's a flow. You can go against the flow, but there's kind of a flow, like a river. It's like, well, the river's kind of moving in this direction. There's a genuine flow. And if you follow that, that's when the magic happens. 
you know, my friend, my dear friend, Jacob Lieberman says, life is looking for you. And so it's not about seeking. It's about yes. opening and listening. Yes. Beautiful. So we need to take a quick break, but please join us as we come back after this quick break and have even more amazing conversation with Coot Blackson as we talk about the magic of surrender. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Welcome back to Igniting the Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James, and I am thrilled to be here with Coot Blackson. We've been talking about just truly, not just the magic of surrender, but the magic of life. There's this beautiful divine flow that when we're allowing it to flow through us, that's when the magic really happens. That's when these amazing things manifest in our lives. Coot, I know that one of the things that, that I learned about you as I have been researching you is you do something called the liberation experience. I don't do it anymore, but I used to do it, yes. Okay, okay. So you used to do this experience and it sounds like some of this that we touched on earlier in the podcast, which is this excavating of people's sparks. You help people. And so at one point you really help people by getting them very in touch with the end of their being at times to open them up. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then kind of how is that morphed now? What are you doing now in that capacity? You said the end of their being? I, yeah. And when I say that, I mean the end of preconditioning. One of the things I read is that you take them almost to that moment where they're afraid of death. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to do a thing called the Liberation Experience. It's a 12-day experiential journey to India where I, I used to take one person and I take away your passport, take away your money. You have a pair of clothes, a backpack, and you're stuck with me for about 12 days. And I take you through a, a really deep transformational, life-changing journey that is designed to help you unravel yourself and uncondition yourself in a very profound way. And so I did 21 of those journeys in about seven to eight years, almost three a year. And they were really life-changing, life-changing, because, you know, we think we're free. Uh, but until you take away someone's makeup and take away someone's clothing and take away someone's title and take away someone's car, take away someone's handbag, take away someone's iPhone, we think we're free. And so, so often our sense of who we are and our sense of freedom is based on so many external factors and so many things in the world needing to be a certain way. 
But how often does life fit a certain pattern? How often does life line up in exactly the way we need it? Rarely. And so when our freedom is based on life needing to be a certain way, this is not real freedom. It's just an illusion of freedom. And so my work and the essence of that process was really based on putting people in experiences and creating an experience and process that was designed to reflect and expose and show you all those places where you are really not free so that you can access a deeper sense of freedom within yourself. What is real? Because everything in the world is transitory. Everything in the world is impermanent. Everything in the world is constantly changing. And so when you're depending on the world to be a certain way, you will go up and down like a yo-yo. And that's not freedom. Uh, We're just slaves to things outside. And so for me, the intention is to help people get in touch with like, who am I really? And what is it that cannot change? What is it that cannot be taken away? And to force people to go inside and sort of let go and heal and transform. And so, yeah, one of the things I, I would do Uh, is when people would want to go on this journey, I would ask them the question, are you ready to die? And I'd make people sign their will and make people write letters to everyone in their life in case they didn't come back. And and that was just as a way to make you face your mortality. The truth is this, and this is for everybody listening now, you are going to die. Let me repeat, you are going to die. Think about that. Okay, we understand that your soul will not die in your spirit and your infinite consciousness, but this physicality, this vessel, this costume that you're wearing, this this persona, this human incarnation as you, you will die. Jesus died, Buddha died, Mother Teresa died, Mandela died, Bruce, all these folks I mentioned died. If, If Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali and Jesus died and Buddha died, you and I will die for sure. Ramana Maharishi, Yogananda, you know, uh, Maharishi Meshio, if these beings die, we're going to die. Now, our consciousness is eternal, is a timeless, you know, seamless stream of consciousness that is beyond birth and death, but the body will die. And so I think when we can just face your death, face it, you're going to die. It's not a question. It is not when, it's just about if, and I hope that we live forever. But I think so many of us in this human body never truly, 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 truly live. We're constantly holding back. We're constantly playing small. We're constantly hiding our light. We're constantly not fully being who we truly are. And and in so many ways, we're not truly living. And I think until you truly embrace your death, it's hard to truly, fully, fully live. So face your death, meditate on your death, feel your death, breathe your death, embrace your death as your friend, like, I will die. And so if death came right now, would you be ready? If not, why not? What's ungiven? What's unsaid? What's unexpressed? What's unforgiven? What's uncommunicated? What's unexpressed? Because when you die and you meet your mate, like the people in 9-11 or the disasters, uh, natural disasters had no idea that they were not going to come home that night and meet their make and meet their loved ones and say, I love you. They had no idea. They thought they would come home. They thought they had more time, but we don't. To, to me, tomorrow is not a right, it's a privilege. 
And so when we die and we meet our maker, you can't go to God and say, can I get a refund on those two years that I wasted in that relationship that I know was not quite right? Can I get a refund on those seven years I, I wasted in that? I worked that job that I knew wasn't right and I hated every day of it. Can I get a refund? It's gone. There's no refunds in this incarnation called life. Once it's done, it's done. Every moment is precious. And so face your death, feel your death. I think for me, a great spiritual practice is to just meditate on your death moment to moment. Because when you're in touch with your death and the mortality of this body, it reminds you of the preciousness of this life. And it reminds you that you have no time to waste. And many of us, we live like we have forever, but we don't. And so when we're procrastinating, when you are not sharing your light, when you're not loving fully, when you're holding, you know, petty grudges against people, feel you're there because it starts getting you in touch with what's really important pretty quickly. It's a sobering, you know, wake up call to like, what is real? What's important? What's meaningful? Feel your death, meditate on your death, um, because that's, I think, what helps us get in touch with the preciousness of being alive. And so that's part of my work that I help people feel. And I hope people in this in, in this moment, you just feel it. Because many times we, we don't want to think about death. We don't want to, you know, so we avoid it, but then we also avoid life. We will die. It's the only guarantee. Breathe it in. Accept it. Surrender to it. Celebrate it. Because there is no life without death. There is no death without life. And so I think when we can face it fully, we start freeing ourselves from the fear of it then we can go deeper to realize, well, yeah, this body dies, but what I am is eternal. You know, I had this experience with my mother in 2016 where my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. She was the person I loved the most in my entire life. I began flying back and forth from LA to London to be with her in her chemo sessions for one year, every week, one week out of every month, I'd fly back. And I got to hold her hand in her chemo sessions. And we would talk for eight hours straight about not much of anything, really, but we would just talk. And I thought to myself, why the hell did I wait till she was dying? I thought I had time. And the only regret I had in my life was not spending more time with my mother. I thought I had tomorrow. There were so many plans, so many holidays, so many vacations, so many experiences I wanted to have with her, but I thought I had time. And you don't. And so one day the doctors came, six months, seven months into this process, the doctors came. And they said to us, there's nothing else we can do for you. You're going to die. Could be days, could be weeks, could be months, but it's not going to be more than a year. So get your affairs in order because the time is coming. And I looked my mother in the eyes and I said to my, to my mom in the hospital, are you afraid? Shit is getting real. Are you afraid? And my mother looked me in the eyes, completely full of peace. And she said to me, I'm not afraid because I know I'm not this body. This body is just a temporary vehicle for my soul. This body will die, but what I am will not. I will be with you from the other side. And I know who I am and I'm at peace. And I felt her freedom in knowing who she really is, you know. And then I looked my mother in the eyes wanting to be a good son. I said to my mom, what can I do for you? What can I do for you in your final days? What can I buy for you? Where do you need to go? What do you need to do? What do you want? And she said, there's nothing I want. 
There's nothing I need. The only thing I want and the only thing I need is what God wants for my life. And in that moment, I saw that she was free. She was living surrender. Even in the face of her mortality, even in the face of her death, she wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. She was open to the highest unfolding of her soul's journey. And that was her freedom, you know? And so in my work, I do help people move through layers of conditioning. Because I think when we know who we are as infinite beings, as pure consciousness, we, we free ourselves from fear. We free ourselves from the constant hypnotization and, and sort of manipulation of the media and advertising and governments that want to instill fear in you, like, oh, you're going to die, oh, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, this disaster, that disaster. And, and because we know who we are. And, and there's a deep, profound freedom that comes from knowing who we are as infinite beings. And I think there's kind of an agenda in the world that doesn't want you to know who you are. Because if you know who you are, you, you're free. And that is power. And, you know, advertisers don't want you to know who you are. They, they want you to think that you're just this limited human being body with wrinkles and with hair falling out. And, you know, this limited body that's going to die and you're not enough. But if you just like drink this drink and wear this underwear and drive this car and, you know, achieve this thing, then you're going to be enough and we're going to sell it to you for like $99. So buy it here. You can use credit card. And so there's an investment in, in, in us not knowing who we are and being asleep living in a coca coma because if we don't know who we are we can be manipulated very easily and so i think part of the what i help people do is i help people wake up i help people become free and freedom is an inner experience freedom is not out here freedom is an inner experience of knowing who you are and for me that's that's my mission that's my purpose and so i i help people do that in my online i help people do that in my events i help people do that in my work you know my work went from the one-on-ones to the one-on-ones to india to smaller groups then i began doing said how has my work evolved it evolved into doing these intensive life-changing events no longer one-on-one in india but one on 20 in bali where i would take 20 people at a time and take them through this profound similar ish experience minus the taking away your passport and all of that stuff but a but an unconditioning process in bali that was all designed to help you be free and for me it's about freedom you know real freedom is is an inner experience and when we're conditioned we're not free we don't have free will we're just living out and creating based on the conditioning of our wounds and our programming and our generational patterns and what a beautiful example your mother was of that ultimate freedom and ultimate surrender. For sure. Oh my gosh. I, I love that example. And the power in surrendering, it's interesting. It's a duality, it sounds like. Surrendering to death, which also allows you to truly surrender then to the flow of life. Yes. Yeah. When you surrender to death and you embrace it and accept it, then certain things we were so we were resisting and so afraid of doesn't matter anymore you know it's just you're less afraid of it because you know who you are and that's the freedom you know that's the freedom 
And it sounds like once you have that sense, do you just continue to drop into it? You continue that practice of surrender. Does it ever slide back? Do you ever have to remind yourself? Do you, are you in a daily practice of surrender? Or what does that look like for you? Because I know it's not just a light switch, right? I know that this yeah, is I think something for, to cultivate. I can just speak for myself. I think for me, it's a continual surrendering and a continual loosening and a continual opening and a continual deepening the way I see it is every, like life is the process of surrender. It's the only thing that's really going on. Like life is the game and the process and the seminar of surrender for a lifetime. Like we're here to surrender. In a sense, all we are doing as humans and egos is resisting, resisting that we are divine, resisting that we're infinite. No, I'm going to create drama. No, I'm going to do, we're just resisting that I am infinite because it's the ego, the perceived sense of self of what we mistakenly believe ourselves to be and identify as, that resists surrender. Because for the ego, what we believe ourselves to be, surrender feels like a death. It's not a death, but it feels like a death to the ego. And so in a sense, surrender is a kind of death of, of the limited identification so that we can open to the true sense of what we are. You know, every, every death, is a birth, but every birth is a death. When my newborn son was born, I was so happy. But then I saw him crying. And I thought, well, maybe I wonder if his crying is grieving the death of who he was in that previous life of nine months. Because he had to die to this world to enter a new world. And so what resists surrender is the ego. Uh, but we have to start realizing that the ego is not what we are and begin to question, begin to observe, and begin to shift our relationship to the ego as we start understanding that the beliefs and the ideas and the thoughts and the feelings and the belief systems, it's not what we are. But the degree to which we believe that's what we are, it makes surrender and letting go difficult. And so for me, there's been a continual process of surrendering. Like life is the process of surrendering. Every experience, every heartbreak, every situation, every breakup, every, every to me, the only thing that's going on is we are being invited home to ourselves. And everything in life is really conspiring to wake us up in some way. Even that most difficult heartbreak, even that most difficult disease, even my mother's dying cracked me open in some way to go deeper and connect with what's true, connect with who I am connect with my true essence even in a sense i felt even closer to my mother when she was no longer in physical form because now i realized what and who she really was which was not this body and so so i think every experience if we look with a deeper sense of understanding is serving our surrender and our awakening we're just not always able to see it you know and so so now it's a continual process of surrendering and it's, it's, it's embracing every experience as, as an invitation to surrender even more and even more and even more and even more. So, Coot, how can people get a hold of you, get more information, sure, get this amazing you. book? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the first place is get the book, get the book on paperback, The Magic of Surrender. Go to Amazon. It's a very, very simple and easy read. Enjoy the book. Check it out. 
Uh, I wrote it with a lot of love and simplicity because I wanted people to actually read the book. And so there's so many gems there where I walk people through a step-by-step process of, of surrendering. Um, for those that feel inspired by the conversation today in some way, and maybe you feel, wow, maybe you feel that you've been put on the planet for a purpose bigger than yourself and you feel a sense of readiness to surrender, a sense of readiness to let go of the patterns of conditioning that have held you back, uh, connect with your authentic nature and share more of those gifts with the world. Uh, twice a year for the last 11 years, I've, I was mentioning this event in Bali that I do. Uh, so those that feel maybe a, a resonance, a calling, something pulling. For the last 11 years, I've done 21 events in Bali and they're 12 days experiential seminar trainings without walls where I use Bali as the backdrop to facilitate a profound journey. I take 18 to 20 people and it's some of the deepest work I do and there's nothing like it, I think, on the planet. They're very unique experiences. It's called Boundless Bliss, the Bali Breakthrough Experience. Uh, 2023, this is the last year I'm doing these events as I'm creating other events. And so depending on people listen to this, the final event will be December the 5th through the 16th. And so if you feel a inspiration you feel a calling i promise you miracles so www.boundlessblissbali.com boundlessblissbali.com i'm sure the link will be in the show notes and then my website coot blackson k-u-t-e coot blackson.com uh instagram coot blackson facebook coot love now and my i have a podcast soul talk check it out awesome coot tell us if if you had an essential message, I mean, this whole thing has been an essential message. Let me tell you, I mean, these are the messages so needed at our time right now. But if you were to distill it down to an essential message that you just want to leave with the audience, what would that be? Surrender is the password to freedom. And the more you surrender, the freer you will be. So surrender. I love it. Thank you, Coot, so much for being here. Such a joy to have you on the show. And join us here again on The Spark. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And remember, when Sparks Ignite, my first film is still playing on Plex Network on the More You channel. So check that out. It truly is about the difficult and challenging times we face that the men can become the match point within us that ignite our gift to the world. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Spark. You have been listening to Igniting the Spark with Stephanie James. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe and receive every episode. For more information about this show, my books, films, and events, Go to stephaniejames.world and ignite your best life. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.